because I'm relieved that the light came on because I'm sitting here thinking this must be for young eyes because for me to be able to see the Bible within that darkness was going to be a challenge. So thank you. Hey, I can't tell you how excited I am to be here to, uh, to get to share with you guys. And uh, really what uh, my hope is that you guys just hear my heart and my passion of how the Lord has changed my heart. And, um, you know, that worship was amazing. It was really all about Christ, Christ alone. And we come here and we worship and we get all excited. And then for myself in the past, I, I used to get all excited and then I would leave the church. And then by the end of the week, that passion was gone. And then I needed to come back on Sunday again to get refilled. But I want to show you how my life has changed that this worship that we were experiencing and that intimacy that we had with the Father can be carried all throughout the week and shared. It's really pretty exciting. Amen. It's awesome. It's truly awesome. You know, this book is an amazing book yeah. from beginning to end. I believe it's the inerrant word of God. That everything written in here is true. I can't pick and choose what I want to believe and what I don't want to believe. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He doesn't change from the old to the new. And so I want to take you guys on a journey on really the theme, I would say, is intimacy through time together. You gain intimacy through time together. And so I'm just going to take you on a journey on my life. And so I want to start... Um, I, w I was, uh, my, I have two amazing parents. They've been married 57 years this year. Praise God. Is that amazing? And I have two older brothers. We grew up, uh, I have a, I love my family. We grew up in a religious home. It was a, we went to a Catholic church. And uh, like a lot of people, we went to church because that's what we did. And uh, on Sundays, We'd go, but I, I always felt guilty at church because I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. And I, I, there was guilt there. But then when I would skip church, I felt guilty about not going. And so I was in this, that I, I didn't really know what I want, what, why I was going, but I was supposed to go. Uh, it wasn't about a relationship. And uh, I will tell you, the one thing that I took away from the Catholic Church was that there's a reverence for God. And that was really good, that there's a reverence. But uh, I walked away from uh, the church during high school and college because there really wasn't anything for me there that I really felt like. And uh, so after college, I had met Brenda in college. For those of you who don't know, Brenda is my beautiful bride. Yeah. Amen. So I met Brenda in college. And uh, we were friends. And then after college, we were friends. And we had a group of people that hung out together. And the more time I spent with Brenda, the more I fell in love with her. She's an amazing woman. But the more I wanted to spend with her, the more intimate we got. And the more I knew her heart. And what a beautiful heart. What a loving, tender heart she was and has and still today. And so it's a, we got to know each other through the intimacy of spending time together. Now we've been married 24 years. If I wasn't procrastinating so much, it should have been longer, but I can't go back. But 24 years with four amazing kids. I love my family and the, the intimacy we have in our family. It's because of the time we spend together. And so I give you that backstory to help you understand that I didn't grow up in the church. When Brendan and I got married, we started on a journey to say, Brenda knew the Lord. I would say I knew of the Lord. And I said, I, I want to go to church. Because if someone asked me, I would say I was a Christian. But if you really wanted to know much about it, I wouldn't have known anything about it because I never once opened the Bible. And so Brenda and I started looking for churches. And uh, we found a church uh, that really resonated with us. And it was really funny because it was, you know, if you go to any other church, I shouldn't say this, uh, Well, I'll just say when I, when I went there, the first week, it was amazing. We left, and I'm like, honey, that was crazy. That pastor spoke what, right to me. He knew what I did last week. That's crazy. And then we go back the next week, and the same thing happens. I'm like, this is crazy. And then the third week, the same thing happened. I'm like, honey, what's the deal? Are you talking to this pastor about what's going on in my life? This is crazy. 
my beautiful bride's like, God is love with you. He's pursuing you. I mean, out of a crowd of 300, I'm thinking he's speaking right to me. That's how amazing our God is. And so I wanted to share that with you to say, look at my background. I developed intimacy with Brenda because of the time I spent knowing her heart and what she wants, what are her desires in life. But I developed my relationship with the Lord my first 30 years of my life based on everyone else's opinion, based on sermons, based on what people think the world said. That's warped. That's how I think it resonates with a lot of us because more people I meet, the more I think this is the same journey for all of us. So I just wanted to start with that to tell you that my life has been radically changed by the Father now. And today, I want to show you how I developed intimacy with the Father. And now everywhere I go, Jesus is my best friend. I get to introduce people to Jesus because he loves me and I love him. And it's a natural outcrop of the intimacy that I spent with him. But it took a long, it took work. But every relationship takes work. I don't have to tell any of you that, right? It takes work to understand what's the heart and to look at the good things. So right now, I just want to take the time and I'm going to show you how my journey transpired. And I want to introduce you to Jesus from my perspective and what he's done. So, you know, probably the changing point for me in my life was uh, probably been married eight years. Well, no, it was longer than that because our children were probably uh, in their eight or something like that. So we'd been married maybe 10, 12 years. So I, I had, uh, we'd been going to church. I'd been doing Bible studies and I'm learning and I'm going out and I'm preaching the word. I'm talking to people because I'm excited, but I truly hadn't encountered Christ. Um, I knew of him, I loved him, and I wanted to know more, but when I was reading this, it was a book that I was reading to be able to quote scriptures, to say this, to be a good person, and, uh, but I was in the, in the middle of uh, the UP Michigan with one of my children, uh, went to a father-son, father-daughter camp, went to many times up there, and it's a beautiful place, it's uh, up there in the UP, and I got to spend time with the father and i would say even when i was trying to have quiet time before that it was really hard because i'd sit there at home and i would have my quiet time and i'd get up early because i'm a morning guy and i'd try reading and then i'd be sitting there okay i'm gonna pray to you father i'm gonna pray and then i 10 minutes later i'm like man do i really gotta fix that crack up in there and man i gotta and then i'm like oh wait a minute i did it again i had a hard time of concentrating to spend time I had to work at that. It was really hard. And so then I'm up in the woods with nothing to do except spend time with my Heavenly Father. And I was just talking to him. And uh, I said, you know what? Lord, what is it you want from me? Where are we at? And it felt like him saying, you know, you say all these Christian things, but what do they mean? You need to meet Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior of your life. You need this and you need that. And I could say that to everyone. But if anyone ever came back and said, what does that mean? I'd be like, well, you know, I mean, Jesus, uh, you know, I don't really even know. I mean, I knew the word, but had it transformed my heart? And then it hit me in the middle of the woods and he's like, Jesus wants to be my best friend. That I don't come to him when I just need something. That's not a friend. He wants to be with me every day, throughout the day. Good, bad, and different. He spends time with me, and he wants me to spend time with him. But then even more important is that my best friend wrote me a book. This is a love letter to me, for me, about me, about his love for me, about the world I live in. This is to change my heart, not to change my circumstances. So if my best friend wrote a book and I said, mm, man, I just don't have time to read that. What am I saying to my friend? Now, I don't mean to belittle what Jesus being friend, but there is an intimacy there that I now have that I can talk 
because he's not offended because he loves me and I love him. And I'm just telling you my journey. My best friend wrote a book to me, for me, and about me and gave me a book. This one's mine. You've got to get your own. <laughs> but he wrote one to each one of you guys, and he's calling you to that intimacy. So when I left the woods, it was an amazing journey that I am going to get in and devour. And I would devour the word, and I would read, and my beautiful bride and I would be doing studies together. And I will tell you, I, I, I first started to analyze the Bible, but then at some point, it started analyzing me. Because this is my best friend who wrote this to me, and he knows me. And he knows everything that's going on in the world. So let's start on the journey. I started in Jeremiah 1.5. Everyone turn to Jeremiah 1.5. A lot of people know this verse. It's a very popular verse. Up on the screen. I should have marked these. but Okay, so Jeremiah says, Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And most of us know that, and it stops there. But then I said, Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. I mean, if you just sit there and think of, meditate on that, and that's what God wants us to do with his scripture, any scripture, it doesn't matter. He'll speak to you. And the more you meditate on it, the more he'll give you revelation of that. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, he thought long and hard about creating me, how he was going to create me, how he wanted to create me, my personality. He had a purpose for me. He knew I was going to be born in a world today, and what was going to be going on in the world today, that should give us comfort to say, wow, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This is a beautiful picture. And before I was born, I was set apart. I'm going to appoint you a prophet to the nations. I used to think when I was reading the Older Testament to say, wow, that was, yeah, Jeremiah is called to be a prophet. But then you jump and you say, wow, but wait a minute. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It sounds like Jeremiah. Wait a minute. Is the story, I'm called like Jeremiah? He set me apart? This is pretty exciting. This is amazing. So then I started on the journey to say, okay, well, what is this? He set me apart. And he wants me to be a prophet to the nations. So I went to John 3.16. Everyone knows John 3.16, but we can turn there if you want to turn there. But probably most of us know that. But if you go to John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world. Come on, everyone can say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have. Amen. The book says eternal life, everlasting life, and I was meditating on that because that's a phrase that all of us know and we sit there and think about it. Hey, you say a prayer, I'm going to be a good person, I'm going to get to go to heaven. This is what John 3.16 meant to me before I had a relationship. You say the prayer and you're, you're saved, man. I'm in. Because the choices were saying, you need Jesus Christ or you're going to go to hell. Well, I don't want to go to hell. You get to go to heaven if I say the prayer and I say, Jesus, save me. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. And then I'll have eternal life if I believe it. Praise God. But what does that mean? What does eternal life mean? If I'm not happy with my life now and I get to live eternally, is that really good? <laughs> or is it going to be better? Or what am I here for? What is eternal life? Well, Scripture interprets Scripture the more you get into it. Go to John 17, 3. If you ask me to recite the Lord's Prayer 
or you ask my family to recite the Lord's Prayer, we'll all take you to John 17, because I believe this is the Lord's Prayer. This is the Lord's heart for us. It's a beautiful, but I'm just going to stick in John 17, 3. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Whoa, that changes everything about for God so loved the world. It's not just believing in Jesus Christ. It's knowing him. Wow, that's, that's big. It's not knowing of him. It's not just reading about him. It's to know God and the son that he sent. So you start meditating on that and saying, well, wait a minute. Jesus Christ, what did he do on the cross? What did he accomplish? I know he came and he, he, he died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins so that I can live and I can go to heaven. But wait a minute, is it about going to heaven? Wait a minute, this doesn't say about going to heaven. It says no one gets to the Father except through the Son. This whole thing is about the Father. If we talk about getting to heaven, we're missing the whole point. This is a bigger story than I was told in church and what people are talking about. This was revelation to me to sit there and say, and I'm going around and asking people, it's just like, wow, this is crazy. This is amazing. I have to truly meditate on what did Christ accomplish on the cross. Now that's, you could go through a lot of different sermons on that, but the reality is that Jesus Christ came, died a brutal death on the cross for me to get to the Father. Well, if the Father knew me before he created me, why does he have to send his son to die for me to have a relationship with him? There's something more going on here. It didn't make sense to me. There's a bigger picture we're in. So, um, go to second. Any of you who know me very well know that we're going to end up landing on my favorite passages in Scripture, or at least that have spoke to my heart and changed my life. So let's jump to 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Because I was praying about, why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus have to die? And you can go to a lot of different scriptures, but this one, to me, starting 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, and that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Whoa. Wait a minute. Jesus Christ died so I could live, but it's saying that I no longer live for myself, but for him who died. Jesus came, and now I'm supposed to live for him. Well, how do, I, how do you live for somebody? I mean, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. This goes back to the intimacy through time spent. Together is how you start to learn, and I started to learn the Father's heart. Just like I started to learn my beautiful bride's heart the more I spent with her. I'm spending time with Dad and saying, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense, and he loves when you question him. He does, because he'll answer if you're challenging going into Scripture. If you're challenging and questioning this way, stop. Question this way and get into his word. He'll speak to you. So I'm thinking, wow, he wants, I got to get to know him. If I'm to live for him, isn't this serious on discipleship? Wow, this is, this is tying into me. And so then I'm like, wait a minute, I have to understand what does this mean? So to me, I jump to Romans, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's jump to Romans. You can keep your finger on 2 Corinthians 5 because I guarantee you we will be back. Let me know when you're there in Romans 12. All right. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. 
Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. A lot of us have heard that. Don't be conformed. It makes sense. But it says, offer my body as a living sacrifice. Well, that's what Jesus came, and he offered his body as a living sacrifice. So I need to offer my body as a living sacrifice. I'm starting to get that. But then it went on and it said, but do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why is it that important that I'm not supposed to be like the world? God made me and he put me in the world. What's, why? But only after that, offering my body as a living sacrifice and not being conformed to the patterns of this world, will I be able to test and approve what God's will is? Well, if I'm supposed to live for somebody, I better know what his will is, but I'm supposed to be a living sacrifice, and I'm not supposed to be conformed to the patterns of the world, and that was one of the problems why I never came to Christ earlier in life. I never saw Christ in anyone that I wanted. You need Jesus Christ or you're going to go to hell. It's like, well, you don't seem too happy about what you have. Why do I want what you have? Right? Isn't that true? If they don't see something in you, it doesn't matter how good of a preacher or what you are. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. But this was confusing to me to say, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Our minds are renewed every day, but with what? The world? Is that bad? I don't know. But he wrote me a love letter, and through intimacy with him, I get to know. And so then I'm like, well, wait a minute. How did this all begin? Because I'm in the New Testament. Let's go back to Genesis. Let's go to Genesis 1. Because I really need to understand why I'm not supposed to look like the world. Because quite frankly, most of the churches look like the world, right? The divorce rate's the same. Abortion rate. Things that are happening. I'm not trying to condemn all the churches. There's a lot of amazing churches out there and a lot of amazing people that are doing good stuff. So I started at the beginning. In the beginning, God created. And I kept reading, but I kept coming back. You ever read something where all of a sudden it's in such bold letters and you can't get around it? You're like, man, created was that to me. So I started looking at what does created mean? The fifth word of the Bible. So I don't know if everyone here is familiar with the Paleo-Hebrew. When you do a Paleo-Hebrew, you go back and look at what is the root of that word. And the Paleo-Hebrew is the pictures. And so if you could put up, it's bara. Created is bara. So you have a, an alpha, resh, and a bayat. I'm sure I'm butchering those Hebrew letters. But there's three letters. So then from those three letters, you have to go and look at what those three letters mean. And the next slide will tell you. The bayet is a house, a tent, or the meaning is a family first, or a house or inside. Then you get a resh, man's head, first top or beginning. And you get an elf, ox head, strong power leader. Look at those first words from bottom on up. Strong first family. Isn't that crazy? The fifth word of the Bible is created. God's order is about the family, a strong family. That was revelational to me. Wow, this is cool. There's a created order that I've been invited in. So stay in Genesis and let's go and say, what happened when he created man? So if we go 126, just one page over probably. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the livestock and over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Three times he says created. Pretty important. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. There's a lot in there. But first he says, let us make them in our image. There's more than one. It's the Trinity. It's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He gave us power, dominion, and authority. And he said, hey, here's your job. Be fruitful and increase. Have a good time. 
then subdue the earth. We're still in the first chapter. Again, the more you read scripture, you start to meditate on this and like, wait a minute. We're not even out of the ending of creation story. And he's saying to subdue. What do we have to subdue? What does the word subdue mean? Something. You don't have to subdue something that's not in rebellion. So there's something. There's a bigger story going on here than from before. So I'm thinking, wow, let's just keep going. As I'm praying to dad, dad's like, okay, keep going and let's, let's go to the next chapter. Everyone knows the story. Adam and Eve put in the garden. God says, hey, have a blast. Don't touch this one tree in the middle, but you can do anything you want. What do they do? They have the tree. They eat from the apple. And, um, and what I want to focus on is what happens afterwards, what God said. So you turn to Genesis 3, uh, 14. So remember, we're in this. The created order is all about the family. He's given us power of dominion. And the serpent comes in and deceives Eve. And they're kicked out of the garden. What is the serpent trying to do? To destroy the family. Already from the very beginning of time. And what does God say to the serpent? The Lord, so the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly all and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Cursed the serpent. He never cursed Adam and Eve. He cursed the ground, but he didn't curse Adam and Eve. He cursed the serpent. And he said, I'm going to put enmity between you and her and her offspring and his offspring, which is a whole other thing to think about. But... We're not going to go there. I'm going to try to stay on task here. But so, cursed. What does enmity mean? When I looked up the definition of enmity, it says it's a noun that states the feeling or being actively opposed, hostile to something or someone. That starts to explain something. The enemy is hostile to Adam and Eve. And who are we born into? Adam and Eve. So from the very beginning of time, there's a war going on. I would submit to you probably even before time begins in the Bible. But that's a whole different thing. But to look at this, to say, wow. Okay, so from the very beginning, let's go to the end of the book. Let's go to uh, Revelation 12. Very last book. What I'm trying to show to you guys is that the intimacy that I've had with the Father has helped me see the big overview picture from the Bible from the beginning to the end is a consistent story that God is radically in love with all of us and calling us into something bigger than any of us ever imagined. If you look at Revelation 12, and then jump down to uh, 7. Let me know when you guys are there. Amen. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent, the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God. For the accuser of the brethren has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, and they did not shrink, from, or, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you. He's filled with fury and he knows his time is short. You jump to the end of that chapter and 17 then says, then the dragon was enraged at the woman, went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commands. That's starting to get a picture, isn't it? Where have we been born into? Enemy territory. A war has been waging. God created me and he knew he would be, I would be here and he knew all of you guys would be sitting here and he knew I would be preaching. And he knew what was going on in the world. 
contrary to what the scientists believe, there is a created order. The one thing they got right is that the monkeys did come before us. Other than that, there is a created order. John 1, 5, uh, 1, John 1, uh, 1 John 5 says that we know the whole world is under control of the enemy. So this is starting to make more sense to me to say, wow, there's a created order and I have been born into enemy territory and I'm supposed to follow the, the will of Jesus and live for him. What did he come to do? 1 John 3 says, Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. That's amazing. That's what I get to do now then, right? If I'm thinking, this is all making sense. But why is this not told to me in church? We should be on a war footing, right? If we're in enemy territory and the enemy has a plan from the very beginning to take us out, if he has a plan, we should have a plan to overcome the enemy. But we can't do it on our own strength. That's what Jesus says. Now it's making sense to say Jesus had to come. And it's better that I go away. Because I'll send someone who will help you walk this out. If you choose to walk as you were created. But this starts to make more sense to say, wow. Christ is standing before the Father petitioning on my behalf when I'm in Christ. Satan is standing here trying to condemn me because I live in enemy territory. This is just an amazing journey that we're on. There's really only two choices. Because we're in the battle. You get to choose, am I going to further heaven and get in with God's plan for me? Or am I going to be on the enemy's team? You either gather or you scatter. You can't be on the fence. You might think you're on the fence, but the reality is you're furthering the enemy's territory because there is a, the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing. This is starting to get exciting to me to say, wow, this is not about going to church. This is not about being a good person. People's eternal lives are at stake and eternal life with the father or eternal separation. This is something to get excited about to say, wow, he created me to have a relationship. Intimacy through time together is revealing what the Father's will is for me and for each one of you. This is exciting that we can work together. So let's jump back. Um, Turn back to 2 Corinthians 5. But as you're doing that, I want to I tie this together a bit to think about the, this series is all about passing the torch. And Pastor um, Massey started, and it's about being discipled by Jesus. Because we're supposed to do his will. We're supposed to live for him. So we, he showed us how to walk. We're supposed to look more and more like him. But then Pastor Slaughter said, but we can't really just be discipled by him because we need our brothers because we can't see clearly all the time, right? So we need our brothers to help us come alongside in the discipling ship. Because I get cloudy sometimes, I get focused, and then my brother comes and says, Mark, this is what you're doing. I'm like, are you kidding me? I didn't know I was, that's crazy. Okay, I, I, gotta, I, I don't want to do that. But you have to understand your identity. And then uh, Pastor Michael last week, passing the torch in the fire. Well, how do you pass a torch in a fire? The fire is the Christ living me, Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's getting excited and saying everywhere I go, I get to represent Christ. This is exciting. So if you're in uh, 2 Corinthians 5. This is where I start to get a little more passionate. If you didn't think I was passionate before, this is where... Anyone who's been with me in jail is where I start to go. And because to me, it's just so exciting. Because I no longer live for myself. And I want everyone to have what I have. And now the only thing I have to offer is Christ. Because I wasn't a good person, even though I thought I was a good person. I'm a good person compared to other people. But is that my comparison? That's not a good comparison. 
So if you jump into 2 Corinthians 5.15, and then we're going to read it to the end here. Number 14. For Christ's love compels us. You really have to start to understand what Christ did on the cross. He loved me so much that he was willing to die so I can have a relationship with the Father. He died so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Okay, now we're getting that. Hopefully you guys are with me on that. Still hard to understand, and you guys need to spend some time with Dad, and he'll help you understand it. But the next part says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in that way. That was me. I went to church. I was a good person. I did this and I did that, but I knew of Christ through everyone else's opinion. That's a worldly perspective. I need to see it from God's perspective that this is a massive story that's going on that he's invited me in and he starts to reveal more and more to me. The more intimate I get with him, I start to understand the will of the Father and I get to be excited to say, wow, this is a lot bigger than I ever thought. Though we once regarded Christ in that way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. All of this is from Christ. So let's just stop there. This is a progression. Christ died so I can live. So now I die to further his will. He, his ministry was to destroy the works of the enemy. On the cross, he said it was finished. Right? So the war has been won against Satan. Most of us think Satan's our biggest enemy, but he's not. James says, Submit to the Father. Resist the enemy and he'll flee. So the first is to submit. Most of us hear, oh, the enemy's attacking me. The enemy's attacking me. And really, if you look at it, it's saying right here, when I come into the kingdom, I die to myself and I'm living for someone else. The old is gone, the new is here. Whatever I was before is no longer valid. I step into the kingdom and I am a new creation. Praise God. Most of us want that experience that we feel Oh, this is amazing. And you'll get that sometimes. But the reality is, you're still in the flesh. You need to start filling the spirit to say, taking those thoughts captive and the old patterns start to fall away. That's why we need our brothers to do this. But you can't continue on until you truly understand. I know a lot of you have feeling like you're still dealing with the sins that have beset you. And you want prayer and prayer and prayer again to say, I need this taken away from me. And this is what happened to me. I felt like I was praying. I was praying to the Father one time in my intimacy with him because through intimacy, right, what happens? You develop a relationship. And I'm praying, saying, Father, do this and Father, do that. And I just had this picture of him sitting on the throne and said, I did it. My son died a brutal death on the cross so you can walk in freedom. It is accomplished Walk in that. It's like the faith of a child, right? When you have a little child and you tell him, here's the facts, what does he say? Okay, Dad, you said it. It's true. That's what we need to do. Dad said it. It's finished. You are a new creation. Well, I don't feel like it. Well, it doesn't say anything about feelings. Dad said it, so it's true. I need to believe that. And know it from the beginning to the end. It's amazing. The old is gone. The new is here. From All of this is from Christ who reconciled us to Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Whoa, I'm in the ministry already. This is awesome. All of us are in the ministry. If we're in Christ, we have a ministry. And what is the ministry? I can't go out and give something to somebody that I don't have. But when I've died and I truly get my identity that before the beginning of the foundation of the world, God thought about having me on this earth for such a time as this. Now I can start to walk into that identity and say, wow, I am reconciled to the Father. Now I truly understand what Jesus did for me. This is amazing. It's not about feelings. It's about taking that thought captive. When the enemy comes in here to say something, I say, no, I don't talk to the enemy. Jesus is my disciple, right? What did Jesus ever talk to Satan about? Did he ever have a conversation with him? Okay, but what did, he, what did he say? He only used scripture. 
when he talked to the enemy. Satan has been defeated, and he's like the bully on the playground. When your kids come home and say, oh, that guy kept saying that, and he's calling me all these names, and then I started to say this to him, and you're like, stop talking to him, walk by and ignore him, and he'll stop. That's Satan. He wants to lure you into a conversation because he's craftier than you, he's smarter than you, he's stronger than you. Stop talking to him. This is what I like to say in jail because, you know, when you're in the prison and you're talking to people, people are bound by their, what they've done. But when we've come into the kingdom, what I've done is not who I am. Now, that's a hard concept, but it's true. I am defined now by my father who created me. I've been cultivated by the very enemy of God my whole life. This is why it says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world because I live in enemy territory. I need to get into the love letter that my father wrote for me, to me, and about me. So then I got to tell the, the, the prisoners to say, stop being concerned about yesterday. He woke you up today. So you can be no longer bound by yesterday and the patterns could be set free. You are a new creation. You have to believe this and take each thought captive. How many of us in here have continued that same sin? Right? But now, and you say, oh, I'm just not this. I'm just not that. When we come into the kingdom and we have truly repented of anything of yesterday or we've forgiven someone who has done something to us because I talk to so many people and say, well, my childhood and this and that. And there's been some brutal stories that I've heard. And it's, it's horrible. But God says it's old. The old is gone, the new is here. All of this has come from Christ. We need to take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ and say, no longer. And when the enemy comes in, or our old self. So, here, let's, let's turn to Romans, Romans 8. 838 to the end. So now this is an all-inclusive list. And I want you guys to think, as we're reading this, think about what is missing from this list. Because it's key. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pretty all-inclusive, right? Can't separate from the love of God. But what's missing from that list? The past. When we dwell in the past, he's saying we can't change that, so stop it. The old is gone, the new is here, all of this is from Christ. We need to take each thought captive. This is what I like to say. There's only two people who bring up your past. Only two. You know who they are? The enemy. And we've already learned... You don't have a conversation with him. You use scripture to combat him. You resist the enemy. Or your old self, who has died, and you don't talk to dead people. Right? When you hear that voice, you have to say, no, I am in Christ. You need to change the patterns of your thinking to say, thank you, I am more than a conqueror through Christ who saved me. You need to start walking in that victory and believing it and taking each thought captive. This is exciting. That's why wherever I go, I get to introduce people to my friend Jesus. I don't care whether they accept him or not. He loves me and I'm the bride of Christ and I love him and I get to go out and destroy the works of the enemy. And people are attracted to that. Not to me, but it's because of what he has done and now I start to understand my identity. This is why I think the churches are dying. Because people don't get excited about this is active. Christianity is a full contact sport, right? Boom, we're, we're destroying the works of the enemy. That's something to get excited about. It's not coming to church. It's not getting a worship. It's about continuing this to say, I am a new creation. God, before the foundation of the world, loves me. And he's calling me to that relationship. Oh, this is exciting. So stop listening to your old self. So back in the second Corinthians, we're going to get through this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. All of this is from Christ who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Not counting people's sins against them. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed us to that message of reconciliation. That's a powerful message if you really think about what's going on in our world today. And I could submit to you to say, I would say turn off the news because you're renewing your mind with the junk of the world. Stop reading this stuff. Most of the church is more concerned about football games or their finances, their 401ks. You need to be a good steward, absolutely. But do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God knew what was going to go on in the world. And he sent each one of us in this room and has a mission for us. And if we work together, it's powerful. I think if we get this, one year from now, Crystal Lake will not look the same. If everyone in this room gets their identity, and everywhere we go, you don't have to preach to anyone. You really don't. You love them. When you're at the clerk at the grocery store, and you're like, man, you got an amazing smile. You're a hard worker, aren't you? They're shocked. No one says good words anymore. No one gives compliments. And then the cool thing is that is that the intimacy with the father, then he gives me a word to talk to them and said, hey, wait a minute, are you going through this? And they're like, what the, how do you know that? And he's like, your heavenly father loves you. And he sent me here to say he loves you. And he knows that you were crying on your bed last night. And they're like, how would you know that? I'm like, Genesis 1-3, God spoke and he separated light from dark and he's still speaking today. So if I speak what I hear him say, he's creating change in the universe. This is exciting stuff, right? Amen. Let's be set free and let's just be life changers to everyone. We get to reconcile people to their heavenly father because they don't know who they are. They have been cultivated by the enemy of God, very much like us, because we live in enemy territory. But the next thing is really pretty cool is that, and he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Think about what an ambassador is. If I'm a U.S. ambassador uh, to Mexico, and I go to Mexico, when I step foot in Mexico, whose laws am I underneath? The United States. Wherever I go as an ambassador, I represent the United States, I step, that's the laws of America. Now, I have to respect the laws of the nation I'm in, but if they arrest me, I have diplomatic immunity. And the nation that I'm representing comes to bail me out because I am representing. So think about that. I am an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. Everywhere I go and I step, it's the kingdom of heaven. I am underneath the laws of the creator of the universe. No one has any authority over me except what the father allows. And if the father allows it, I have to be okay with that because he's either trying to teach me to get something out of my heart or he's doing it for the benefit of everyone else. And it doesn't matter either one, right? So I represent the king. Like we sang in the earlier he is king of kings. I am a king. I am royalty. He put a cloak of royalty on me. And no one, there's only two people who have the ability to take off my cloak. God and myself. God says he'll never do it. You cannot snatch me out of his hand. But you know what? I can walk out. I can take the cloak off. But God says, uh-uh. He's not king of subjects. He wants a relationship with you and the intimacy through time together is you start to understand your heavenly father does not want you to be tired, depressed, angry, bitter, sad. Those are all attributes of the enemy. So that's what the ambassador. So that's really my journey. And I really want you guys, hopefully you guys, hopefully that spoke to some of your hearts to say, God is speaking to each one of you. He loves you. Do not listen to the enemy anymore or your old self. Get into God's word because he wrote one of these for you guys too. And then when you go out of here, this is a time to come together and we sing in worship because our lives are supposed to be worship, Right? That's what we're supposed to live a life of worship. We come in here to get refilled, hear a great word, and then continue it on out there. And then when we rehuddle, we refill each other up so we can go out and do it again and destroy the works of the enemy. But you first have to get who your identity is.
You know, we all come to church to hear a good sermon. And then we walk out and say, maybe, hey, that was a good one. That was good. Oh, I really like that one. But if it doesn't change your heart and there's no action, it does no good. The enemy does not care that you come to church. He really doesn't. He doesn't care if you read your Bible every day. He cares if you're being transformed into the likeness of his formidable enemy, his enemy who crushed him. He cares whether you're being transformed into who you're supposed to be. That's what he cares about. And he does not want to lose you if you're in his camp. And you might not know you're in his camp. But the minute you start walking out, the enemy's going to come and you've got to say, thank you, Jesus, for allowing me and showing me who I am. So let's, let's, let's pray. You know, one of the things that... Let's talk to Dad. And I want everyone to, in your seats, whether you need to kneel down, whether you need to stand up or pray... Let's accept what he has done for us and truly understand this is exciting. But people's lives are at stake, eternal lives. Your family's eternal life is at stake. So when we pray to dad, let's not say, dad, do something that he's already done. Let's accept what he's done. Repent of anything that you need to let go of and then thank him because he's a good dad. And then spend time with him because through intimacy and time together, he'll change your heart and people's lives are at stake. And this is, this is, a, this is a lot of fun. Christianity really is fun. And we should be excited about what he's done. And what he's doing in this body is amazing. So I'll leave you with the last thing is, I used to say, and I used to say prayers, God, change my circumstance. Lord, do this, do that. And God's saying, no, that's not what you need. You need to change your perspective. I'll change your heart. And then the circumstances won't matter anymore. Right? Let's stop, stop asking him to change the circumstances. Say, change my heart. That's the only way I'm going to have a peace that surpasses all understanding. That he's allowing me to go through something so I can be closer to him and be useful to everyone else. So let's pray to dad. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for everyone in this room, Lord. I pray that what I spoke was pleasing to you and that this is what you wanted me to say to the people you love, that you sent your son to die a brutal death on the cross, not for us to get to heaven, but that we can continue on your ministry in victory, the victory that you won and you want us to have. Lord, help us come to you. And if anyone needs prayer and you really want that, come up, we'll pray for you. But please do not leave here without being touched by the Father's heart because he loves you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I thank you for this time, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.